1: absolutely surreal that it has been 15 years 15 years to the date to a day that for so many of us directly affected or not we remember every single detail of that day night and aftermath everything and in these 15 years since when you reflect And when you share your personal stories of where you were, and to some as incredible as there are those who have graduated college and have zero recollection of what happened that Tuesday morning in New York, the nation's capital, and just outside of Pittsburgh, today's American youth, many were not even born. But when you mourn and reflect, it is astounding to realize how much of this world that we live in, how much of our lifestyles as Americans, our relationships, our freedoms our culture, technology, how much everything has changed so drastically. Unequivocally, the biggest landmark day in this young nation's history since its founding. September 11th. And there was no way I could get into the show, the per usual introduction, because there was nothing per usual about that fateful day. And to those who experienced life prior, nothing has been per usual since. A day to be recognized every year since, but similarly to the aftermath of this nation's most infamous day, professional sports, as trivial as it is, served a great purpose, particularly to those in New York, baseball aided in the healing process to those most directly affected by the tragedies. For centuries in civilization, the arts, theater, sport, its means of entertainment, finding that appropriate balance to never let it completely consume oneself, to never let it supersede greater causes, but rather to serve as a simple distraction. Today is Sunday, September 11th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell, one of the millions excited about this particular Sunday, week one of the National Football League. Yes, I am in my 30s now. No, I'm not a grump yearning of a league that was once less soft, less good but still giddy enough for five-plus months of NFL Sundays. Later today, the Miami Dolphins visit the Seattle Seahawks 4.30 4.30 game on CBS. I cannot wait for that game because, yes, Seattle's a good team. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. But today's featured guest will be calling that game alongside Dan Fouts for CBS. Yes, Iron Eagle of the NFL on CBS. But to this broadcast, the voice of the Brooklyn Nets for the Yes Network, Mr. Eagle will return to CLNS Radio as part of our Primer Series. We have done the meat of the NBA Eastern conference for the Boston Celtics potential playoff opponents and relevant foes for 2016-17. Now it is time, as we do so every year, to see how things are playing out and could shape out for the Nets in 2017. I know the well-being of the Brooklyn Nets is almost always on the mind of Celtics Nation. I wonder why. You know, so far, the two draft picks, courtesy of Brooklyn, courtesy of the fable trade which sent Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and some other scraps, down to Brooklyn, the four draft picks owed to Boston. So far, they have yielded James Young and Jalen Brown. Eh, uh, tech, so technically thus far, the best yield has been one eye and Eagle, an annual post-Labor Day pre-NFL season tradition for him to grace us with his presence on Celtics Beat and to give CLNS Radio the state of the Brooklyn Nets franchise, and he will do so yet again. A 2016 edition coming up. On episode number 174 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Casper. Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Celtics and enter promo code Celtics and Network.com. In the spirit of the where were you when, as this specific day brings out, but a little more jovial here, I remember... Where I was on draft day of 2013 when this trade was going down or rumored to go down. It was completed during the actual draft prevented Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett from retiring in Celtics uniforms, which I wanted to see. I thought there was value, especially in years past when there was talk of breaking up that group. About a year and a half prior, there was there was nearly a completed trade in 2012 that would have sent Paul Pierce to Brooklyn for a draft pick, not three, although a draft pick that ended up being Damian Lillard. But I was totally against trading away Pierce and Garnett in a Jerry Reinsdorf like fire sale of take whatever you can get. I thought there was metal to having Pierce spend his entire career with one team. I thought there was metal to having a guy like Garnett around Kelly Olenek and Jared Selinger, and other potential young players at the time. But when I woke up that next morning and I read that those three selections acquired from Brooklyn had zero protections on them, I knew right then and there that that trade was well worth it. And it was more obvious that season when the Nets, who in 2014... That was as good as they were going to be. They struggled mightily that year. They had a good second half of the season, but flamed out early in the playoffs, got beat handily by Miami, and that was it. That was the max of that Nets team because that team was all in for that year. Pierce leaves, Darren checks out, and they are where they are now, heading into the season as Las Vegas odds on favorite to be the worst team in the NBA. And while this trade has crippled the Nets, they have been able to make a high draft pick really since the new decade with Derek Favors. Brooke Lopez, one could literally field an all-star team with the picks the Nets traded away, not just to Boston and to Atlanta for Joe Johnson or to Utah for Damon Williams, all who produced minimal res- return for Brooklyn. But as mentioned earlier, trading away a lottery pick, which turned out to be Damian Lillard for Gerald Wallace. I know Celtics fans remember well who Gerald Wallace, and now the Nets under their new GM, Sean Marks. They have to try and recuperate some of these draft selections that they've already dealt away and still have yet to part with. As this past June, they had to trade Thaddeus Young, one of the best players in their team, to Indiana for a first-round pick. It is a complete uphill battle for them. I correlated to Japan in the 1990s. Their central bank and government went all in on their economy and new infrastructure. They ended up building crap, and all they were left with was a pile of debt. The 1990s was the lost decade for that country, likewise for the Nets. That is what the 2010s will be. We know that the trade has put a stranglehold on that organization, but for as much as it has hurt Brooklyn, we do not know how much it will help the Celtics. You know, you, you read so many articles of what a genius Danny Ainge is, how he fleeced Brooklyn, but how much will this trade help the Celtics we actually don't know yet it remains to be seen it remains to be seen and I'm not sure that's a phrase we wanted to hear some three years after the deal so many have high hopes of paying major benefits to the Celtics franchise I once penned two springs ago how this deal with the Nets could be that Herschel Walker deal for the Celtics franchise could be Because right now, all Boston has to show for it are James Young, who's well on his way to not being on this roster, and Jalen Brown, who he himself is far from a sure thing to be someone who can even contribute in this league. There has been zero concrete return thus far for the Celtics, and it's amazing, too, that the Celts, over the last three years, have amassed one of the best teams in the conference without any direct contributions from what was acquired from Brooklyn. Comma yet. Yes, I am well aware that there are two very more very high draft picks headed Boston's way in the next two years, but the real benefit the Celts have had thus far from the deal with the Nets is that it has had an abstract benefit to the franchise. Just the looming positive return of the cascade of draft selections alone has made the glow on the Boston Celtics that much shinier, that much brighter. And while you can't put a measurement on it, there's no question it has helped when it has come to recruiting Brad Stevens here in the summer 2013, winning the Al Horford sweepstakes this past summer. So fortunately or unfortunately, time will tell. And there remains no question that those draft picks with Jalen Brown, the pressure is most definitely on him to be an impactful player in the NBA and in these next two upcoming drafts. Because while the Celtics are very good right now, for them to get go from very good to championship caliber, it almost entirely hinges upon what they're able to get from Brooklyn, be it directly selecting players who can become great Celtics or by eventually trading the selections for a value return. So here begins... The Brooklyn Nets draft pick watch for 2017 on this September Sunday. But before we get into today's featured guest segment, I want to talk to the audience about Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. They are revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Casper combines two technologies, springy latex foam and supportive memory foam to create an, an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night. As I know from experience, you can buy it easily online and completely risk-free. Casper understands of truly trying out a mattress That in all reality, you spend a third of your life on. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom that is 100 days. And did you know, statistically lying on a bed in a showroom has no correlation to whether it is the right bed for you? What are you waiting for? Get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing this to industry standards, that is an outstanding price point. You can save an additional $50 toward a mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash Celtics and entering the promo code Celtics. That's casper.com slash Celtics and promo code Celtics. Free shipping applies to U.S. and Canada customers only. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, now to our featured guest segment, Ian Eagle of the Yes Network. Yes, this is becoming a Yearly tradition for Ian, usually sometime after Labor Day and right before the NFL season, he bestows Celtics beat with his presence and just before the NFL season. Week one is actually already technically underway, but today's full slate of games kicks off later this afternoon. So from Seattle for today's Dolphins-Seahawks game on CBS, Mr. Eagle, welcome back to CLNS Radio for your yearly September visit.
2: Yeah, I feel like this is becoming some kind of tradition, Larry, every year right, right after around this Labor, time. Larry. Yeah, this is, this is now just part of my calendar, so I've, I've incorporated it into my deal.
1: We're honored, or at least I don't know who's paying that so-called deal you just referred to, I am, because you've been very gracious with us these past few years, especially when your vantage point on the Brooklyn Nets is what it is and the state of the Nets organization is so relevant to the Celtics and their fans do want to get right to business here with you and start this segment off the same way we have everyone else in the series. So I'll do the rundown on the Nets offseason. Additions guard Jeremy Lin, who had a nice season for the Hornets last year, killed the Celtics in a game late in the season. Longtime veteran Luis Scola, as well as Trevor Booker on the front court; Guards Randy Foy and Gravis Vasquez; Center Justin Hamilton. Also took a flyer on former number one overall draft selection Anthony Bennett. Subtractions where it interesting. Thad Young, he had a career season with the Nets last year. Biggest loss of note, traded to Indiana on draft night. They had a great offseason themselves. We just talked about Thad with Quinn. Also did not retain Jared Jack, future NBA coach one day. Tore his ACL on the Nets last year. But unquestionably, the big move of the offseason, hiring former NBA player Sean Marks. Been in the Spurs organization the last few years. So it's probably best to start off with that.
2: Yeah, when you meet him, uh, you understand why he was able to rise up the ranks so quickly. Very personable, looks you in the eye, uh, interested in your answers, good listener in and of itself, and very sharp, smart. Uh, This is a guy that's been around a lot of different cultures in the NBA. The one that resonated with him most was the San Antonio Spurs. As a player, then as an assistant coach, then as an assistant GM, Uh, GM of a D-League team, so an understanding of all levels of the organization and the ability to connect with all sorts of people. That's part of it with Sean Marks. I think that's a big reason why he is in the position that he's in right now. comes from that winning culture, and as we know in all of sports, everybody's searching for the secret sauce. If you can find somebody that has had unique insight into that, then uh, odds are you're going to have deeper discussions with them. And it's a big reason why Sean Marks is the GM of the Nets right now. It's all new. Uh, He changed everything, not just the personnel that, that you went through, but behind the scenes as well. There's a new flow chart in place for management, front office, the way they're going to go about their business, the way they're going to scout, the way they're going to evaluate players, the way they're going to make decisions moving forward. And the team needed it. It needed to shake things up. It needed a new set of eyes. It needed a new perspective. Uh, Sean certainly brings that. With that came some challenges because he didn't walk into a ready-made situation by any stretch, uh, lacking in assets lacking in draft picks. And I think he stripped it down and is starting from the ground up. They swung for the fences on a couple of guys in restricted free agency and nearly pulled it off, but didn't happen on Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson. And at that point, they had to go into plan B, plan C, plan D mode. Uh, But it wasn't a matter of Sean Marks just uh, going out and signing whoever's available. There was a clear strategy in place here, a certain kind of player that they were looking for, a certain kind of attitude, certain kind of background. And I think with that, they're, they're trying to accumulate a, a bunch of uh, good guys, hungry guys, uh, guys that may have been disrespected elsewhere, Uh, guys that are looking at this as a chance to either resuscitate their career or continue on an upward climb. Not the biggest names out in the NBA that the Nets were able to to grab, but uh, players that they believe can be a part of the start and the beginning of this next step in the process.
1: What do you think the Nets were able to sell marks on actually coming to Brooklyn and taking that job because of what you said, the lack of assets the Nets have and how long it's likely going to take them? There's a chance I mean, he could get hinkied and damage his own personal career if he never gets to see it out. So how are the Nets able to pitch their organization to someone like him?
2: Yeah. Look, we know that there are only a certain number of these jobs around. There's There's a finite number. So when you're in the mix, when your name starts getting brought up, uh, you've got to weigh all of it. Uh, To me, if you're Sean Marks and you looked at this situation, uh, the positives were ownership is at a point where they are handing you the keys to the car, and they're telling you that we're not going to meddle. Of course, we're going to have an opinion, but we're going to let you do this the way that you see fit. We're going to let you build an organization. So, The risk-reward for Sean Marks, first and foremost, it's an NBA GM job. That's what he was aspiring to, learning under R.C. Buford and now taking those lessons that he learned and applying it to another team, another franchise. Second, the Nets around the NBA at this stage of their organization's development, it's understood that uh, this is not a win-now scenario. So uh, there, there is going to be a grace period here for Sean Marks to put his plan into place. There isn't an expectation level like there might be in some other cities that it has to happen tomorrow. Wanted to get good people in place, people that he wants to work with, people that he believes can be a part of something together to unify and build this thing. And in some other cities, and some other markets, with some other ownership groups, uh, there might be a level of stress and angst early that it's got to happen right away. Uh, He's going to be given a chance to do this and do this the way that he sees fit. That's not always the case. So I think he looked at that as a positive as opposed to a negative that some others may not be up to the challenge. Then the other part is just flat-out confidence, believing that you can do this, believing that You do have a formula in place, not just being the guy that uh, is behind the scenes and is involved, but not with the final say. Now he's got the final say. And then the other part, which is just uh, the case for all of us in life, uh, a chance to improve his... His life and his family's life, the financial part, this is a huge raise financially for him uh, going from assistant GM to the Spurs to uh, general manager of an NBA team. And with that, the guaranteed finances that come with that contract.
1: Yeah, it is still such a huge risk. I mean, I mentioned sort of that as an example to still take the position because you say, well, he's going to be given a grace period. But we all know how people react now in the age of the information age. We say, oh, he'll be given three years. But you look at Sam Hinkey in Philadelphia. He really came in. This is going to be five years. Was never really able to see it out because eventually people just sort of give in. And when they do, it really hurts. It's really detrimental towards one career in terms of getting up there. And Excuse me, go ahead. You ready to speak?
2: Yeah, but, but Larry, you know, I would say this. It's not cut and dry. Uh, the, the Sam Hickey situation is certainly a, a valid example. But along the way, you have to analyze how things were dealt with. Uh, his inability to articulate his plan, his inability to uh, come to some understanding with the media in explaining what he was trying to do. And a fan base that was patient early and an ownership group that was patient early that ultimately started looking around and saying, well, What are we doing here? What what is happening here? And that's part of it. Uh, In addition to being a savvy basketball mind, in addition to being smart and having foresight, you better be a good communicator in this job. And if you're not, you better make up for it in some other areas. Uh, There are GMs that are not the best communicators, but their moves have spoken for themselves. If your moves are going to come under scrutiny, you better have the ability to explain why why you're doing what you're doing, not just to the media, but the media is a conduit to the fan base. Ultimately, the fan base and the ownership are going to make uh, larger, form larger opinions based on your move. So I understand your point that uh, there is a honeymoon period, but like anything, uh, that honeymoon period evaporates. If you're Sean Marks and you're young, which he is in terms of being a GM, Uh, this is his first crack at it. His hope, and the Nets' hope, is that he figures it out during this tenure, and that this becomes a situation where he's the guy for a long time. He's young enough to have this job for 20 years. If everything goes right, we know that doesn't normally happen at this level. But there's also an understanding that this is uh, early in his career. He is excuse the pun, but trying to make his mark and trying to show the rest of the league that uh, he does have a plan and he knows how to execute it. And he's trying to build a team with that in mind. Everybody around the league knows the challenges. I think the first challenge that he had to overcome was convincing agents around the league that the Nets could be a destination and that they're serious about this. And although they didn't get Crab or Johnson, and by the way, there were no guarantees that either one of those two guys will turn out to be standout impact players, but their scouting showed that they felt comfortable with either one of them or both and paying them more money than the market may have indicated that they were worth. But the point in my mind was that he needed to show agents around the league and other players, by the way, that the Nets are willing to go out there and spend and take chances, and they're trying to change the way they do things. That's a big step in this league. Agents play a large role. Uh, You better have them and their attention um, because ultimately when you're making larger-scope decisions...
1: They're the guys in the ear.
2: (laughs) There's no doubt about it. They're whispering in their players' ears And guys talk. Agents talk to one another. Players talk to one another. Uh, This is a free-flowing information age where word gets out quickly and the team is trying to change the way they're perceived.
1: Do you think he's going to be able to have success in doing that? Because the Nets are clearly putting a huge emphasis on player development, particularly this season. We kind of know what that's code for. And there also looks like they're going to try to reaccumulate as many of the draft picks as they possibly can, being the Thad Young example on draft night being the trade. Do you think he's going to have success doing that in in his next, uh, say, 16 months, 24 months? Yeah, well...
2: We have to define success. If success is the players that he's gotten here are getting better and are improving, by the way, that's another way to indicate to agents and to players that you're serious about winning. There's this misnomer in the NBA and in professional sports in general that players don't want to be coached. And that could not be the farthest thing from the truth. They just want to be coached well. They do want to improve because if they improve, they make more money. They get a bigger contract. They secure a financial future for their families.
1: They win instead of lose.
2: Yeah, individually and ultimately from a team standpoint. So if you're stressing player development and you go out and get a guy who's known for that, that's what Kenny Atkinson is known for, this isn't just saying it. This isn't just trying to create some headlines. This is actually backing it up with real action. Kenny Atkinson... I don't know uh, where the head coaching opportunity was going to come from. He was with the Knicks. He was with Houston prior to that. He had been in Europe before that. The, Popovich and then gets tree. the job. Yeah, he gets the job with Atlanta. And then the extension of the Popovich tree with Mike Budenholzer, I think at that point is what opened the eyes to Sean Marks of, wait a second, this is a guy that I need to talk to. And I, I know Mike Budenholzer well. He speaks very highly of Kenny Atkinson, the way he can deal with players, star players, and fringe players, uh, guys that are scraping, trying to get into the league and stay there. And that's a big reason why Atkinson is the head coach now of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, were there other jobs that were going to pop up for Kenny? I don't know. It, it may have taken the perfect storm. By his own admission, uh, this was a perfect scenario. A New York guy uh, with young players on the roster and a general manager that has put an emphasis on what this man does best. That's not to take away from his skills as a, a game manager or a decision maker late in games. We don't know. Uh, this is new to him. He's been a head coach internationally. hasn't been a head coach in the NBA. But it was a foot in the door because he had made his mark. Uh, this, to me, is is part of the plan. Uh, this isn't a case where Sean Marks had seven guys on a list. He went through the first six, and then Kenny Atkinson was left standing. I asked him the direct question the day that Atkinson's signing was made official and uh, the press conference was held, and he said, no, no, this was the list. Kenny Atkinson was the guy that they were after from day one. There's a reason why he sees something in him, and he recognizes that he's got the right personality to work with. Too often, and it happens a lot, GMs and hit coaches don't see eye to eye. They're not on the same page. And relationships fracture. We understand that. This one is off to a very strong start because I think they share the same basketball ideals.
1: Do you think the same basketball ideals and basketball philosophies are being that defense because Atkinson was pretty much... Atlanta's defensive coordinator they did have the number one defense in the NBA a few years ago the number one defense in the NBA the second half of the season and likewise of course that's the primary selling point of him being in Brooklyn
2: yes a big part of it a very big part of it and look defense we know you have to have individual talent to play defense but there is something to be said for team defense understanding your assignment playing together not necessarily having the best players but having guys that know how to work off one another defensively and trust me that will be uh, a major major point of emphasis for this team Uh, they're not star-studded it's that simple look up and down their roster Uh, they're not going to get by on on that kind of star quality what what they're going to sell is uh, the team concept and the fact that a lot can be done in this league uh, if you're on the same page and if there's a belief. And I think Kenny Atkinson, let's also not misinterpret what being a player's coach means. It doesn't mean that you're coddling. It means that you're trying to get the most out of them, but there's a mutual respect for how you go about their bus- your business. How hard someone works, uh, that's something that's very difficult to quantify because different coaches have different means in which to motivate their guys. I can tell you from uh, the brief interactions I've had already with Kenny and the ones that are still to come once we get into the meat of the season, I know that this guy is not going to be outworked. The gym rat term which we toss around so often, uh, it's it's one that fits who he is and fits his personality. That's why he's here. That's why he has been able to get to this point and ascend to being a head coach in the nba uh, he's he's someone that's going to put in the work and i think that does rub off on your players there's a fine line of course you got to know when you shut it down and let these guys rest and recover and when mentally they've had enough but
1: greg Popovich uh, is very good at that
2: he, absolutely uh, might be the best ever uh, truly understanding what we we only see little brief glimpses into who these guys are during press conferences occasionally when the nba can mic these guys up which i think is fascinating uh, the training camp stuff that nba tv does it's really really interesting to see how guys run their practices the dynamic between head coach assistant coaches and players I've always found that very fascinating but we only get little brief snapshots of that what is this guy doing on the team plane uh, calling a player over what is this guy doing texting his players during off days or after a particularly good game or after a particularly bad game the lines of communication how you deal with players this idea that well you got to treat every guy the same no you don't that's that's not true that's not how it works you have to Uh, come up with a plan and tailor it to your players. Uh, The idea that you're going to treat LeBron James the same way uh, that you're going to treat Timofey Mozgov is is not a fair statement. Uh, That's just not real. That's not how it works. So for Kenny Atkinson, he has found ways to get the most out of Jeremy Lin. Those same philosophies may not work in dealing with Anthony Bennett. That's is how it is. That, that's, that's human nature, and it's human interaction. And the coaches that figure that out are usually the ones that are most successful.
1: And, of course, we're talking about the top players in the team. If you want to talk about the top players in the team, you talked about summer traditions that we've had. I remember a few years ago we would, when I shifted topics to, to Brook Lopez, and I will do so here shifting at the Brook, is when I brought him up. I said, I, is he uh, going the way of – Bill Walton or Yao Ming, and you kind of let out a big sigh, and he said, well, maybe he could have a Zagrunas-Ogostas like Renaissance. Is it safe to say that he has?
2: It is, and I think the bigger part of the equation, of course, uh, the injury side of it is incredibly important, and I think for his confidence, for the team's confidence in him, the fact that he's been out there, the fact that he's one of the best post scorers in the NBA – Uh, that's uh, that's the first part, yes. The more important part that I've seen more uh, than anything the last two years, this has become his team. And Brook has always had a a unique personality in that he's not one that is going to force himself on a situation. And I think for the first five years of his career, he sat back. And a very likable person. Uh, Brooke is is uh, his own guy. He's he's not the only guy that I could compare uh, him to in the NBA personality wise is his twin brother, Robin Lopez. That's it. They, these two guys are different. Uh, they're different in how they approach life. They're different in uh, how they handle people. Uh, he's who he is. And I think for a number of years it was hard for him to to put his fingerprints on this team, as well as he played on the court, then the injuries. But there were other players that were considered the de facto leaders of the team, you know, based on salary, based on year served, based on their personalities. So Darren Williams, who really didn't want the role, was – Given the role, because of all of the responsibility, the money, the billboards, all of it, uh, and he just didn't—he didn't really care for it. That's—that's that's not his way. Paul Pierce, ironically, at that stage of his career, didn't want to assume all of those responsibilities, but realized he had to based on the personality of the team. Kevin Garnett, uh, we know what KG brings to the table, but I think they all we're saying, like, hey, this has got to be more Brooke, more Brooke. He's finally at a point where he's comfortable. And not to say it's his team. It's not his team. With, with this net squad, uh, they're going to spread the wealth. But I do think now his true personality can come through in that locker room, and there are people on the team that he has connected with, other players that he's found a bond with. Uh, that hasn't always been the case with, with Brooke and the Nets. He was always well-liked, but I don't necessarily think that he felt that commonality. He's got that now, and it's building, and it's growing more. And I do think the kinds of personalities that the Nets brought to this team has lent itself to that happening.
1: He seemed very aloof in those early years. I mean, that's just me as an outside observer, but he seems aloof-ish. Is that, too, is that too much of an extreme word for me to
0: use?
2: Extreme because it's more negative. He was never negative. He was never a negative guy and a negative influence. I in just his own thinking, world. here here's the word I would use. He was detached. He was detached a bit from the team and the core of the team. He was doing his own thing. Uh, he was doing it well, but off the court I think it was difficult for him to bond. And, you know, sometimes that has no bearing on what happens on the court, as we know. Uh, we've heard uh, many occasions where teams that have been very successful were teams that had uh, in the NBA landed at an airport, and then you had 15 cars taking 15 guys to different places. And then we've heard of other teams where uh, there were team dinners and they were finding ways to bond together. You know, I think that group and Brooke involved, it. it was – it was forced in many ways. It wasn't natural. And because of that, um, it, Brooke had a tough time uh, early. Not anymore. Uh, he's He's got people. He's got people that, that he has connected with. And I think there will be a bit of a, a cause and effect now with this team that um, some of that can begin to reveal itself and, building some chemistry on the floor
1: so he seemed to actually grown into a position where he has some almost immeasurable value to the franchise let alone of course to what he can do on the court because he is one of the last true very good traditional big men in the nba but what kind of scenario could you see brooklyn possibly moving him when you consider marx's one of marx's mindset of trying to accumulate some of the draft picks for future years as he tries to rebuild the team
2: Hey, look, how the season goes is anybody's guess. And uh, my feeling is they're going to go in with the idea that they want to see if this group can improve and win together and surprise some people. But you wouldn't be doing your job if you weren't at least open to the possibility of deals that would make this team better. And if it's the goal of this front office to accumulate – more draft picks and get back into the mix so that you have some assets, uh, certainly Brook's name is going to come up in conversation because he's got the most value. And there just aren't a whole lot of guys like him in the NBA. Brook Lopez could be the missing piece on a bunch of teams. And the Nets can't just go about their business without at least keeping that in mind. And they will. Uh, that's, uh, that's called doing your job as far as how this season would have to go for that to happen that remains to be seen uh, let's let's see if this group can can show uh, some some winning attitude and uh some sense of improvement uh, more than anything else uh, what they are day 1 is not what they expect to be in late december uh, when they've given some time to to try to bond and and make this team better and execute what they're doing Uh, But if you're asking me whether or not Brooke Lopez will be a candidate at some point to be traded, Uh, It would be silly to say that he wouldn't be.
1: He has premium skills that are just very rare now in the NBA when you consider where the league has gone over the last five or six years, and he's one of the few players who can do what he does, yet still warrants to play in the league. You've seen so many players who play the same basketball that he has over the last decade, yet they've essentially expired, largely because they just can't be on the court in this new NBA. But I To wrap this up sort of on the Brooklyn Nets here, the best way to do so, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, but I I always save the best for last. And this is the best way to get the outlook on the team in your eyes. Give me sort of a best and worst case scenario situations for the Nets this coming 2017 NBA season.
2: best case scenario is uh, they find some legitimate chemistry with Kenny Atkinson coaching these guys up. You see the development over the course of the season. Uh, young guys contribute. Chris McCullough takes a big step in his career and becomes a legitimate contributor. Karis Lavert is healthy and uh, shows that uh, he was not a reach as a first-round pick. Rondé Hollis Jefferson is an impact defender, improved offensive player, And then the veterans play up to their ability. Trevor Booker and uh, Randy Foy and uh, Louis Scola, these guys give the Nets what they're looking for, which is at this stage of their career, leadership and uh, on-court presence. And then some other youngsters, like Isaiah Whitehead. Uh, is this a guy that can actually contribute in his rookie year? Uh, all of these questions are out there. And maybe the biggest one is Jeremy Lynn, uh, being a starting lead guard and coming back together, reuniting with Atkinson, uh, the man that he worked with that led to Linsanity in New York, uh, the guy that convinced him that he could be a player in this league, and not just a a nice side note story, a player, a legitimate player. I think Jeremy Lin could have gotten as much money or more money elsewhere. Financially, I don't know if this was the best scenario for Jeremy Lin. I do know from a basketball standpoint, this was the absolute optimum place for him to be because of his relationship to Kenny Atkinson, uh, the New York market, off the court, what it's going to provide him. Uh, social media-wise, he is a star, and that will only grow based on the Big Apple. And they're telling him that we trust you. I don't know how many teams are going to tell him that. Uh, he may have, may have made the same money or more money as a third guard or uh, a fringe starter, but someone else to compete with him in training camp. There's no competition. He's the guy. First time in his career in the NBA where he's been told, you're good enough to lead our team. No questions asked. And I'm really interested to see how he handles it. You know, I called a bunch of those games in the playoffs last year with, with the Charlotte Hornets, and there were moments where Lynn really stood out, and there were moments where he was getting beaten on defense, and there were moments where he was forcing things as well. So try to harness that is going to play a large role in the success or failures of this team. Our worst-case scenario would be uh, these young guys aren't ready for it, uh, that McCullough is not a polished NBA player, that Isaiah Whitehead came out too soon, that Karis LeVert physically is not prepared uh, for what's next, that Sean Kilpatrick was a one-hit wonder, uh, that Anthony Bennett can't, Play and uh, the Nets took a flyer on a guy that um, that is never going to be a, a, a real factor in this league. The boy on Bogdanovich's run scoring in the Olympics wasn't real. Uh, that Scola didn't have much left. Uh, that Randy Foy didn't have much left. That. Too much responsibility has been put on Trevor Booker to be a star. These are all worst-case scenarios, and if these things happen, then uh, the Nets are going to struggle, and they're they're going to win in you know, the vicinity of of 20 to to 22 games. I don't think the second part is going to happen. I believe that this coaching staff and this front office has uh, enough vision uh, to see that that this group can can actually go out and surprise some people and keep it in context what that means. Uh, I think they just need to see improvement and they need to see the makings of something, especially with the younger players, that uh, they believe that there's, there's a core unit here that they can build off of.
1: Ian Eagle, play-by-play voice for the Brooklyn Nets. I, I'm not signing you out yet, my man. Stay with us, but let's take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap up the show with CBS Sports. Ian Eagle in a moment. What's
0: going on, Pats Nation? This is Marvin on of CLNS Radio, and I'm here to tell you right now to check out the CLNS Radio New England Patriots game show hosted by myself and my co-host, Mr. Mike Nice, and live on clnsradio.com immediately after every single Pats game. Call in at 929 477 2386 toll free to get your voice heard and contribute to the host breakdown and analysis of the latest Patriots contest. We also got the stars and sorries of the day, Twitter posts for the play of the game, and everything else that is going on with the four time Super Bowl champions. Subscribe to the CLNS Radio New England Patriots post game show on iTunes and Stitcher, and the best way download the free CLNS Radio mobile app. For on-demand listening, anytime, any place, anywhere.
1: Yes, the New England Patriots post-game show here on CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. Airing tonight live on the website CLNSRadio.com and in the archives on the CLNS Radio mobile app after tonight's... Sunday night game in Arizona. The England Patriots play the Arizona Cardinals last year's NFC finalists against last year's AFC finalists. I cannot like the Patriots' chances without Tom Brady in that game tonight.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that seems to be a a theme in the New England area. Uh, Look, years ago when Brady went down and – Bill Belichick turned to Matt Castle, and this team very easily could have made the playoffs that year. They didn't. They went 11 and 5, and and didn't make it. Uh, there were a lot of doubters back then as well. I've learned not to doubt Bill Belichick. Uh, I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo can can step in and he hasn't looked uh, good.
1: He has not looked and good. And keep
2: this keep this train rolling on the tracks. Uh, they always seem to find magic when they need it. And here's the bottom line. The difference this time around, back then you knew that Tom Brady wasn't coming back. Uh, this time you do. You know he'll be back in week five. So they're not even asking Garoppolo to necessarily excel. What they're asking him to do is stay above water. And I think they'll figure out a way to stay above water. Tough, tough tough matchup to open up i happen to think arizona is going to go to the super bowl in the nfc uh, i think all the pieces are in place very easily could have happened last year huge bruce arians guy the window is closing here for carson palmer for larry fitzgerald but i like their mix on offense defensively i don't know if they got enough credit last year for what they do week in and week out uh, New England just happens to be playing uh, one of the the best teams in the NFL in week one with Garoppolo dealing with uh, a lot of arrows flying his way. Uh, So I'm not going to judge it coming off of this game only. Uh, but I'm also here to tell you, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to fall on his face.
1: they got to find a way to go 2-2. Two and two. If they can go 2-2, two and you two, like to think Tom Brady comes back, they'll go 10-2. and two, They'll finish the standard 12-4. and four. But I'm not sure. I mean, I could easily see 0-4. Oh we seem to agree to disagree on that. But you do the New York Jets preseason games. They, the Patriots do not play them in weeks 1-4. They actually have yep. three straight home games coming up after this Arizona game. Not automatics, but certainly winnable. But how have the Jets look in the preseason? Obviously, I don't watch much preseason football, and you watch plenty of them <laughs> yeah, calling I, their games. I, I had uh,
2: the four Jets preseason games, and I had a national game as well with Tampa Bay and uh, Cleveland. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a lot of... That's a lot of preseason football. That's that's 20 quarters of preseason football if you're doing the math. The Jets uh, in the preseason, uh, very vanilla on offense. They didn't show you much. They have a lot of weapons. Uh, They set franchise records last year on offense. They believe they'll top those marks in total yards, uh, passing yards, passing touchdowns. Uh, The area of weakness would be tight end. They believe they can get by without having a stud at that position. They've got a player in uh, Quincy Anunua who's their third wide receiver, but big enough where he can double up a bit and play more of a hybrid role. So I don't think they're as concerned about that one spot as other people might be. Defensively, they have a chance to be lights out. Their defensive line is scary good. Uh, The secondary is excellent. A linebacking core right now is Young. And that's where there might be some question marks uh, as to whether or not these young guys can pick up the system quickly enough to excel under Todd Bowles. Bowles is a defensive guy. Uh, The margin of error there, I think early he will allow some mistakes, but if it's not working and if it's not happening, then you'll see some veteran guys take over in those spots. They've got uh, some players that could step in easily, Uh, not as explosive as the young guys, but could at least hold down the Ford until he believes those young guys, Lee and Jenkins, are ready. Uh, With that said, they have a very challenging schedule, Larry. Uh, They're going to be tested early. And similar to what you're saying about the Patriots, uh, the Jets have a chance to uh, start the season poorly and uh, may not be able to recover from that. Uh, Their first six games, five of them are against teams that made the playoffs last year. They play the majority of their games on the road early, six of their first nine as as it worked out. So they'll benefit late if they can get through it. If the smoke clears and they're hovering around 500 or just above 500 over the, those first six, seven, eight games, uh, they'll be able to make up for it later. But as we know in the NFL, it's it's hard. That, that uh, momentum can carry you, and it can carry you in the wrong direction. Uh, this Jets team, they have high hopes, though. Uh, This isn't a team that's going in thinking that uh, just because the schedule is challenging, they're going to have problems with it. The way they viewed it is those teams still have to play them. And I guess that's the way you have to look at it.
1: Yeah, you feel that a a team like the Jets or the Bills, the Dolphins, really the Bills, the Dolphins, if they feel they're going to upend the Patriots this year, they have to get off to a good start while the Patriots get off to a poor start you talked about that momentum like let's say the jets started out 3 and 1 and the patriots were 0 and 4 and 1 and 3 they could find a way to hold off tom brady and steal a division as which has actually happened twice during the brady era but if say the patriots are 2 and 2 and no one else in the in the division is anything better than two and two hard to see anybody winning the AFC East besides the Patriots I got to get to this though you're at a very interesting game later today we're going to actually have it in the Boston area that is Miami in Seattle you told me that Arizona was a shoe Bowl pick Seattle's actually mine but you want to go a little in depth about that game and actually even say a little further as to why you don't have you actually I assume you're gonna have Arizona winning the division if that's the case
2: yeah, I, I do. And look, uh, we know that uh, these are all just uh, statements before the season starts. My general feeling with Arizona is... you
1: human being, though. You and Mr. Dan Fouts. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Coming up later uh, on CBS.
2: Yeah, exactly, Larry. Uh, look, it, it, it's hard not to recognize what Seattle has personnel-wise. Uh, I do think last year they took a little bit of a hit in terms of uh, the way that they intimidated people around the league. They were more beatable than ever before, and they should have been beaten, as we know, in the postseason before uh, the debacle that took place at the end of that Minnesota game. But I just I just feel like we've seen them at their best. We've seen the best they can offer. I don't know if they can ever quite match that. Arizona, I still believe, has some room to improve, and the Seahawks uh, still one of the best teams in the NFL, pound for pound. Defense ferocious. Russell Wilson is a magician at times, uh, but they've they've lost their way a little bit. In what made them so special in winning that Super Bowl and being so they dominant? Had a
1: serious chip on their shoulder, especially that backfield. They field. did,
2: they did. Uh, I I don't know if it's still there now. Maybe you could say the other way that last year motivates them. Uh, look. Uh, This team, you could easily make the case, could be Super Bowl champions, as you believe they can be, and it would be hard for me to debate you on that. I just have a vibe with Arizona that this is all happening at the right time, and this is the window of opportunity for Arizona. It's going to happen now, or it's not going to happen with Seattle, because they're so young, because uh, they're, uh, they're stacked in so many areas. If it doesn't happen this year for Seattle, it could still happen next year. Uh, so my general feeling with Arizona is uh, that this is just the right time for
1: them. Yeah, you're there. You've been with them the last few days. Real quick, though, when are we going to see you here in Foxborough? Or, uh, call the first Patriots game. You do have your CBS coach, I believe, right? Uh,
2: Yeah, uh, first game i have we have the first four weeks for the patriots will be week four rex ryan and the bills in town to take on the new england patriots that's on television and i do have the patriots on a thursday night game the week before on radio
1: on houston right is that the houston game yep okay all right last question to get you out of here Iron eagle arizona in the super bowl who are they playing
2: Arizona in the Super Bowl uh, playing against whom in the AFC. I know that's been uh, the million dollar question. I've seen Pittsburgh selected quite a bit. I I can't see that. I don't I don't see that. I think they've just dealt with too many things. I know uh, those suspensions take place early. The hope is late that the Steelers can get it going. I do think they're one of the best teams in the AFC. Uh, when it's all said and done, I, I don't I don't see the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Denver, uh, the quarterback situation is concerning. Their defense is scary. Is the defense good enough to carry them all the way through once again? I'm uh, going to cast the vote of no. And now you look around the AFC and uh, you've got surprise teams that will jump up a bit. Jacksonville will be better. Oakland will be better. I think Oakland's going to win the division, believe it or not. And with that said, I know that uh,
1: you
2: know this is just expected when I come on your show. I still think New England's the best team in the it's, conference. It's the,
1: it's the default pick. It is the default pick, and you're doing so It is. Guys. It is, but it's the smart pick as well. It is it is the smart pick, especially to this audience? Iron Eagle here on Celtics Beat around this Labor Day, and really. Best of wishes, Ian, as you get going for the NFL season, and then of course the Brooklyn Nets season, just a few weeks away. Ian Eagle of CBS Sports and the YES Network. Thanks so much for doing this once again, my man.
2: All right, Larry. Do you want to book 2017 now? You want to just get out we'll, of the way, or you want to talk at a later date?
1: Uh, we can. We'll book it. We'll book it right now, September eighth. Uh,
2: okay, I've written it in. Done.
1: As always, that was awesome with Ian. Here's a guy that has the resume of resumes when it comes to announcers and the quality of work he provides, routinely ranked at the top of media watchdog groups and audience polls for his play by play work. Ian is called, as we all know, not just Nets games. The NFL playoffs, NBA playoffs, March Madness, U.S. and French Opens for tennis. The Masters at Augusta. He's hosted a talk show with Phil Jackson. I mean, he's done it all. And he has a whale of a schedule to not only be the voice of the Nets when the NBA season starts, and to do that with being one of CBS's lead announcers, getting the top games for the NFL, and then March Madness going all the way up to the Final Four. So, I mean, like... Like I said, I mean, really, really grateful that he joined us. And today, of all days, yes, NFL kickoff weekend, NFL kickoff Sunday. In a matter of hours, Ian will be on the call alongside Dan Fouts on CBS as part of their doubleheader. Can't thank Ian enough for joining us on a day like today to do our all-important Brooklyn Nets primer. Ian, of all people, the voice of the team, gives us the final few hours of flexibility in his life Goes to show what a platform Celtics Beat has become. And of course, we cannot thank the audience enough who not only tune in week after week, but who pass the show along to a friend or to friends. That's why this broadcast has grown to what it has over the last four and a half years now. So, as always, we cannot thank you enough for making this show the number one broadcast on the web dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise, which in turn allows us to get guests like one eye and eagle. Thank you, and once again, our small way of saying thanks are our contests, which also have a 360 effect of supporting this show as well. Again, still ongoing, a signed 8x12 photo by Paul Pierce himself being a 2006 game winner against the Denver Nuggets in Boston. You can still enter that contest by following me on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. That's it. Just follow at CLNS underscore LHR. In our newest contest and winner announced in just two weeks, so you got to get on this one now. This is a good one. Two free tickets to the Boston Celtics open practice at the TD Garden on September 30th. Enter by simply subscribing, rating, and writing a review for Celtics Beat on iTunes. Some of you have already done it. Maybe get a friend to do it to increase your odds. But simply subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Winner announced in just two weeks for two tickets to the Celtics Open practice on September 30th in Boston. The music, as you can hear, it is playing our outro courtesy of one Steph Legrato covering Boston's More Than a Feeling. So yes, that means we're wrapping things up. Download the CLNS Radio mobile app to listen to podcasts such as this, as well as Celtic Stuff Live, Real GM Radio with Danny LaRue, Coach Nick's B-Ball Breakdown podcast, and as you just heard, the New England Patriots post game show, hosted by Mike and Marv, going live on clnsradio.com tonight, immediately after tonight's Patriots-Cardinals game on Sunday Night Football. That'll also be in the archives on the CLNS Radio mobile app, to go alongside this podcast episode number 174 of Celtics Beat with featured guest Ian Eagle now in the bank so let's wrap music for this show was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato. be sure to follow us on social media Twitter I'm at CLNS underscore LHR the show is at Celtics underscore Beat like Celtics Beat on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat Google plus Celtics Beat on CLNS one final shout out To today's featured guest, Ian Eagle, play-by-play voice for the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network. And another round of applause for our audience for listening for yet another week. For sponsors, Casper and American Farmers Network, staff writer Eddie Santiago, graphic designer Taylor Otter, the founder of the network, Nick Jelsa, and myself, the executive producer and host, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio. Thank you for downloading another edition of Celtics Beat, which is supported by American Farmers Network. Do you have personal goals of losing excess weight and getting healthy? Well, you should. And you can't do that without a clean diet and science is now spoken. 100% grass-fed certified organic beef is one of the most nutritional options out there. Let AmericanFarmersNetwork.com provide the staples to your path to effortless weight loss and optimal health with their array of pasture-raised and certified organic meat. AFN's animals are raised, cared for, ranched, and harvested on small family farms, not corporate-sponsored industrial factories. Don't listen to faux science regarding meat and stop consuming animals that were likely infested with antibiotics, growth hormones, and grain-fed diets. Humane lifestyles for the animal mean an even more healthy lifestyle for you. And that is why AFN's animals ate right so you could too. Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and begin or continue your journey to peak physical fitness today.